Ever wanted to understand homeopathy better? Well, by the end of today's show, you will. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 301. We have just celebrated our 300 show birthday. I'm very, very excited. And if you didn't hear last week, for the month of September, I am running a competition uh, asking you for the birthday gift of sharing your favorite episode on socials and why. Uh, So you can do that with a screen grab of the show on your Instagram stories or on Facebook. As long as you tag Lotox Life, uh, at Lotox Life, I will see it. And I will draw two winners and you will receive both of my books, book one and book two, together, signed, delivered to you wherever you are in the world. Uh, And that is my thanks for you sharing the shows that you have loved of the first 300 Um, here's to 300 more. Hey, I just feel so lucky to be able to bring you these conversations. I learn so much. I know I love, uh, helping distill some of the brilliance of the guests to make it easier to understand some of these complex topics across food, body, home, mind, and the planet. And I absolutely love hearing what you are loving because that tells me what you need more of. So share those favorite shows. Let me know why you love them and good luck in the competition. So uh, today we are talking about homeopathy and I have a wonderful homeopath who studied at a degree level homeopathy. A lot of people often do a Bachelor of Health Science and then add on a little homeopathy unit or uh, a diploma or certificate here and there. Um, But Julia studied at the degree level pure homeopathy. Uh, She is Irish-born, French resident, and uh, I speak to her uh, from her home in the French Alps and uh, (laughs) was kind of wishing I was there. Um, But I'm going to be in France next week if you're listening to this live and it's September 2022. Uh, I get to go to my cousin's wedding, which I am so grateful for. After uh, three years of feeling very cut off from my French family, I cannot wait to give everybody a hug and watch his bride walked down the aisle and celebrate those two. So um, I won't be in the Alps, but I'll be pretty close and very much looking forward to that uh, journey with my son. Um, now, we will hook into this conversation on uh, naturopathy very shortly, uh, but I want to let you know that you have a couple more weeks left with our wonderful September sponsors. Number one, our major sponsor this year, Oz Climate. It's spring, allergies kick up. Please, if this is something you are affected by or if there's been a bit of atmospheric mold and you're noticing congestion or respiratory issues, please invest in a decent air purifier, even if all you can do is get the little Winix compact air purifier for your bedroom and just make that 
a safe breathing space and have it near your bed, you will notice a world of difference. You have 10% off all year round and your code is LOWTOXLIFE. Very easy. The Oz Climate website is ozclimate.com.au. Um, you can also give them a, cut, a call and discuss your unit, type of home you live in, upstairs, downstairs, big open plan, uh, because you might then need to consider different types of units for that and they can take you through it if you're not too sure. And then our second sponsor, a special one for this month, BioFirst has joined us back again. Uh, they became famous on the show when they did a special offer with their Manuka Skin Saver and Self Heal Salve. The Self Heal Salve is your SOS kind of product. If you get burnt or uh, cut and you just need to get the skin he healing really fast. And the Manuka Skin Saver is an incredible multi-purpose um, support for your skin from a healing perspective, as a barrier, um, as a protectant, uh, and a lot of listeners had huge success with um, dermatitis, irritation-style dermatitis and eczema uh, from making the most of the offer last time. So the offer this time is with the code LOWTOX, you have 20% off their entire range. And my favorite part about them joining us again is you also have an American uh, link that you can use for American shoppers and an Australian one. So you can go to the uh, website, lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast, click on today's show and you'll get the American link or the Australian link, depending on where you're shopping from. Uh, and I'm, I'm very, very excited. There's such a great family owned business, Aussies, all of the remedies are designed in-house uh, by their master herbalist and family member. And it's just a beautiful story of a brand doing really great things. And my favorite thing is for people with skin troubles who have often tried everything under the sun, conventional and holistic, to be able to offer something that so many people are saying is changing the game for them. Uh, that's a really awesome thing to be able to do. So 20% off the whole range, Lotox is your code. And now we're going to talk to the wonderful Julia Edgley, internationally practicing and licensed homeopath. Uh, she is so passionate about uh, antibiotic overuse and the pathologies that sometimes appear years down the road. And we actually talk about that in today's show. And it actually led her to developing within homeopathy, her signature method, the ABC method. And it's helped hundreds of individual uh, and family members eliminate unnecessary antibiotic use as well as strengthening their immune systems for their futures. Uh, she's a huge believer in self-empowerment and education in the health process and talks to us about that fine line between when we need to see a homeopath, when we can have a bit of a play and do things on our own at home. We talk fevers, we talk immune system. It's a really, really useful show. And she's going to be joining us for our practitioner masterclass for our club members. If you haven't considered joining the Lotox Club yet, you have two and a half years worth of archives of material, interviews, ebooks to download waiting for you, all for just $49 a year, not a month, a year. Uh, so if you're American, that's like 30, 35 US, um, about 30 euros. 
And we have a gorgeous community building there, really great support group. It becomes a bit of a low-tox brains trust where you can say, hey, I'm tossing up between these brands or does anyone know if this is low-tox? And lots of people chime in. We have our naturopathic, naturopathic support on there. You can always ask Renee a question or two um, and workshop things. And, of course, I'm there doing a monthly Q&A as well as our member masterclasses. Uh, so I can't wait to see what questions come up for Julia in our live member masterclass. Uh, you can join the Lotox Club by hitting the Explore tab at lotoxlife.com and it's the very first option there. Let me now introduce you to Julia Edgley and let's talk, uh, not naturopathy, homeopathy, homeopathy, my slip up. Enjoy, guys. Hello, Irish Julia in the French Alps. How are you? I'm brilliant. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We have never had a homeopath on the Low Tox Life podcast in seven years. Can you believe it? Oh, no, I can't believe that. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, we, I've got good friends who are integrative doctors who use homeopathy, especially kids, fevers, that kind of stuff. But um, I've never had a um a purely a homeopath. And so this is a subject that I find really interesting. I've always found homeopathic remedies interesting. Being half French, we have Arnica in the medicine cabinet, in the handbag, as a gel, as a cream, as a tablet, as a massage oil. Um, so Arnica was something I always knew about. Um, and I remember my doctor, very traditional doctor, was researching how to help me with tonsillitis because I used to get it all the time. And she actually said, why don't we try this homeopathic thing that I've found? Um, and it helped a little bit at one point um, in the journey. And those were my only two interactions until much, much more recently. Um, uh, and so I just thought... There's obviously such an incredible um, power to homeopathy. Uh, I find it amazing that you can use it for fevers and it's just so effective when we're using these pharmaceuticals that have so many side effects that deplete glutathione right when we need it the most, um, you know, your traditional um, paracetamol products. Yeah. And I just feel like more people need to understand how it works, where it comes from, and how much of it we can employ ourselves without feeling we need to go and see a homeopath specifically. So we're going to unpack all of that today. And I thought a good place to start would be the history of homeopathy. Um, and then, yeah, because, you know, every type of medicine or practice of of therapy has a history so what is and there's definitely a history yeah well it's quite interesting when I, I was on another podcast and um because homeopathy is very popular in different areas around the world South Africa uh, India is very popular in India and everybody uses homeopathy so a point that a lot of people in India thought homeopathy came from India but actually comes from Germany in the 18th century and it has been around since then with the same principles. Yes, the, the remedies have um, progressed and changed improvings and more remedies, but we stick to homeopathic principle that was developed um, through, it was a doctor called Samuel Hahnemann. And um, the story goes that he was translating, he was translating medical texts 
And at the time there was um, an outbreak of malaria. And so they were always looking for different therapies and different treatments for malaria. And he was translating what came up was chinchinoa bark. So the theory was chinchinoa bark, because it's so bitter, that's why it treated malaria. So he decided I'm gonna taste chinchinoa bark and he tasted it and he developed symptoms of malaria. Now, what was known um, around that time in the world of medicine is either you can, heal, you can heal with similars or you can heal with opposites. Right now in health medicine, we heal with opposites. So if you have a fever, you give something to stop a fever. If you have pain, you give something to stop pain, but there's actually two avenues. So he was aware of this and he said, well, if I'm developing symptoms of malaria, that's why it's treating the malaria, because it's treating with similars. Now I can go into that, what is the theory of how that works? So he then developed homeopathy and found things, different substances, some that is not great. And um, more like an example would be arsenic. So he found all these different um, poisons, looked at their poison picture and said, okay, I can use that to treat those symptoms in the patient. Now, what is that is not really controversial about homeopathy because that's the thing with homeopathy. There's a controversy around it. Whenever you say homeopathy or being a homeopath to a few people, to many people, but the, the controversy is because it's so diluted. Obviously, he noticed people when he was giving arsenic, they were dying of arsenic poisoning. So he's like, oh, that's not great. So, <laughs> not a great plan. Not, no. That's not what I was looking for. So he decided to <laughs> dilute it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, but thank you. Thank you for science. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he said, well, I'll dilute it down. He said as if I was there. He diluted it down. But what he noticed is the more that he diluted the substances, the more powerful they became. And so he came with this whole theory of there must be a memory in water. And that's why it can memorize the power of these substances. Now, what's interesting is more in more recent years, there is research in ultra dilutions in the water. And that is what's really fascinating because the controversy is like nothing. If there's nothing chemical in these solutions and they can't be working. Well, well, now we know exactly the mechanism. I'm not sure. But we know that water can imprint the um, structure and the action of a substance. So that's where homeopathy came from. It then uh, uh, progressed all through Europe and actually America up in, if you look at some classical um, literature, for example, Little Women, homeopathy is mentioned. It was huge in the States. Well, remember the Ipecac in Anne of Green Gables? Yeah. Oh, I didn't I mean, know that one. Who doesn't remember? Well, I remember that scene. Quick, get the Ipecac. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Epicac. And you know, it's one of my favorite words, Epicacuana. Oh, mm, so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all over America. It was huge in America mm -hmm. and, um, and it just spread across the world, but it's been around since the 18th century. Incredible. And so why do you think, I mean, is it one of those sordid tales of the pharmaceutical, you know, Rockefeller stage and, and wiping out all these alternatives uh, to pharmaceuticals in the early 20th century. Is that one of the reasons it fell out of favour? And therefore, once America was a world leader, um, you know, other people fell into line with that falling out of favour as well? I think it was a mixture of a few things. That was definitely what you can't make money out of homeopathy. Mm. The remedies are very cheap. Yeah. How to produce them, I mean. So, well, and also that, to buy, it's so reasonable. Yeah. And like mm -hmm. one remedy, like a little file will last you for ages. So it, it can be one thing, but I think what was more, it was the more kind of, uh, I want to say micromanaging of health. 
at the same time, there was the germ theory that obviously, to me, previous to germ theory, they didn't really understand what was the origin of disease. So it must be external. That's why they thought it was spirit or so. OK, no, it's the, it's the germ. So we must actually identify something that will kill that germ. I didn't really obviously there was a difference between germ theory and terrain theory. I'm, I'm, for those who haven't known that terrain theory is if your body is strong enough, you can fight it off. And germ theory is you know, the pathogen, the external pathogen is overpowers the body. And actually, we know it's really a mixture of the two of them. And so I think that was more identifying something we can kill off the germ. And so the, the practical and the theory of homeopathy didn't really fit that idea. And then the petrochemical industry came along. They found more drugs. And it was just like I said, micromanaging. Okay, like I said earlier, it is the law of um, opposites. Have a pain, stop the pain. Have a fever, stop the fever. Have an immune response, stop the immune response. And that mentality shift added to um, Big Pharma. Yeah, got it. Uh, and so you talked briefly about the mechanism there. I feel like I understand the role of water in magnifying minute amounts of of the actives um and so what's with the sugar pill factor it was just a mode of transport you can actually get remedies on very different um and um, different recipients for example you can do quite funny white powders and so you can actually get powders and it's great to use powders for to give kids so we'll put a drop of the remedy on a white powder however i send a lot of remedies out and so i can't post out white powder so <laughs> that doesn't actually arrive so that's why they have sugar pills and alcohol those drops we know I've what tried- kind of drugs you're dealing in there julia <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. like what is this little white sachet <laughs> so that's what that's for there's loads of different types so as a homeopath we can use all different ones we can use a spray as well that can work. So the white sugar is not specific to homeopathy. It was just a recipient. Got it. Okay. On the on the subject of white powder, very funny story. Um, I take L-theanine, which comes in a really, really fine white powder. Um, and it just kind of goes everywhere. And I always think when I leave a hotel room that I look like a far more exciting guest <laughs> than, they, than I really am. <laughs> Go to your hotel room. How is she still alive? <laughs> Similar to when we were flying back from Ireland, my husband's gluten uh, gluten free, and so we got these gluten free flowers and all this um, flour. And the security's like, "I'm just gonna have to check your bag." And he took out this big bag of flour. He goes, "Sourdough? Is that what we're calling it these days?" (laughs) I just want to make bread. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Have a great time. (laughs) Too funny. Um, Okay, so different modes of transport and then um in terms of uh what was i going to say in terms of dosages uh, and regularity like how do you start to build like how much you have of something and when um is there a prophylactic approach in homeopathy in any circumstances or is it more treat and cure well, that is what's great about homeopathy and what a lot of people don't know is that this, it can be used in so many different walks of, it, walks of life and instances. So you can do use homeopathic prophylaxis and there's actually research and a history of that, for example, in South America, that it has shown that it takes an effect. And in more recent years in India as well, there was given homeopathic prophylaxis. And so it would be generally for that you would use usually it's an outbreak of something and you'd look at the general I was going to ask about COVID for example have there been any studies on that 
Yeah, in India, it was given out. There was um, one remedy was arsenicum, arsenic, again, back to that. And that was given out of prophylaxis and how you choose that remedy. Because for those who don't know homeopathy, homeopathy, you choose the remedy based on your symptom picture. So a lot of people could, um, a lot of people come to see me my patients. They actually don't care that I'm a homeopath or what I do. They just want to get better. So they don't really, don't tell me how it works. Just tell me what to do. Okay, fair enough. So what happens was I'd say, I, that's great, but I need you to understand why I'm asking you these questions. So it's understanding the symptoms and not the name of the pathology. So when you have an outbreak, you look at the general symptoms and you choose a remedy that looks like the symptoms that everybody seems to have. And that's how that's how prophylaxis is um, is is chosen. We also have different rem remedies actually made from, um, for example, uh, disease processes. Like for example, um, COVID virus was isolated into a homeopathic remedy, and we can give that back in potency. So that is available in in homeopathy. I've used that for chickenpox, chickenpox prophylaxis. Of going away when people travel to tropical countries, we could give prophylaxis as well. So that is one aspect of homeopathy. I think homeopathy really shines is when you are you're, you have the symptoms and you take the remedy for the symptom. So it's working on your homeopathy is actually an energy medicine, although we're giving a lot of people. I was going to say it really feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah, it is energy because it's like, what are you treating when they're doing research? Because there's a lot of research in homeopathy. I get a lot of uh, people say there's no research. I'm like, actually, no, there's quite. <laughs> Let me draw well your attention too. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I love research. And my memory's not great. I'm like, listen, let, let me show you a website. Don't ask me. Let me show you a website. And so one of them is the Homeopathy Research Institute. And as a whole team um, coming up with good quality um, trials. So what would, I can't remember why I was saying that now. But what's that gone? It's completely gone <laughs> out of my head. Yeah, that's okay. What we talking um, about? We were talking about prophylaxis, but then we talked about also. Oh yeah, um, the Using symptoms. The actual remedy. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So when homeopathy works, oh, energy medicine. So when what with the research, they want this remedy treats this pathology, and actually we're not treating the pathology; we're treating your energy. So basically, your body has an intelligence to heal itself. Every I think more holistic approach has that principle. Your body can heal itself. We have to figure out why it's not. And so the homeopathy is tapping into your, and so we're trying to find the same resonance to your energy. That's why we're looking at your symptom picture and a remedy that would produce the similar symptom picture because it's the same energy. So that's what you're, so when you are really tapping into that healing energy, it is so powerful. That's when really homeopathy shines. And that's the whole part of homeopathy that people think it's the remedy. It's, it's the analysis. And you can do this analysis, like you are saying, do people have to see a homeopath? More chronic, certain pathologies, chronic pathologies, yes, but you can actually learn this approach and use it at home. But it's the analysis of what you're treating is the most important. Yeah, incredible. Um, okay, so something you talk about a lot on your socials is the immune system. Yes. Talk to me about... Never stop. <laughs> So I, I kind of want to back up first and okay. have you share what drew you personally to homeopathy and then your obsession with the immune system after that. It's, it is an obsession, isn't it? Mm. And I have so many, it's like a whole year of this. Okay, so um, it's probably laziness, but let me go back to, I started off when I was a child, um, I, I couldn't be vaccinated. We, there was a bad reaction. Like some kids can't be vaccinated. I was born in the eighties. 
she can't be vaccinated. So my mom was very aware of keeping our immune system really healthy. So we were given supplements. We were given, she was very focused on food. We were laughing the other day. It's like, I didn't have jam until I was about eight. So she was very obsessed with that. And I, I actually tasted something recently. I'm like, oh my God, it brought me back to the iron supplement my mom used to give me. I hated it. So that was always aware. My mom would always use, I was a type of kid, bless my mom and my dad, that medication didn't seem to work for me or I didn't get sick often. I wasn't a sickly kid, but when I got it, I got really sick, that type of thing. And so they would have to find everything that would work because nothing would work. I remember once I got an abscess on my foot and they were given antibiotics and nothing worked until my mom got a bread poultice. And that's the only thing. So she was always aware of these, this way of natural approach to health. So I was brought up with this. And then at 16, I wanted to get a part-time job and I managed to be hired, even though I was too young, they normally would just take on anyone over 21. I, I have looked like this since I was 16. They just hired me and I got trained in everything in the shop in them, um, how to do Vega testing for allergy testing, herbs, aromatherapy and homeopathy. And it, the homeopathy, it's not that I just loved everything holistic and it made logical sense, sense to me. I wanted to go into healthcare, either be psychology or medicine or, and so I was always drawn to health. But this made more sense to me of looking at the whole person. And I just started to use homeopathic remedies and it was it was really powerful how the body responded. And so it's, it was second nature to me in a way. And my dad said, you can train whatever you want to train as long as you get a degree. That was very important to my parents. And I found it was either going to be acupuncture. So this is why in my college, I always said you didn't choose homeopathy. Homeopathy chose you. And I found a college that had um, one of the few colleges that had a degree just as a homeopath. And that's how I got into it. Wow. Incredible. Um, and so you study homeopathy, but obviously like anyone who studies any form of medicine, there are things that draw you in more than other things. And for you, it really does seem to be that the functioning of the immune system is your jam. Well, what happened is I got to treat loads of kids. So you can probably, I don't know if you can see in the back, there's teddies everywhere. So I treat a lot of children and really more and more I mean I graduated 16 17 years ago and you can see the evolution of children's health over the years and where I live um that is the thing about France they love antibiotics they're trying to change now but they loved antibiotics and so I'd see kids coming in really bad digestive problems um four five six doses of antibiotics before Christmas in our winter um steroids um, breathing through their mouth, not sleeping, um, then in teenage years, hormonal problems. And I was all linking it back to it all started with the overuse of antibiotics. So it's actually more antibiotics that I'm more helping people try to avoid than the immune system. But in order to avoid the antibiotics, you have to understand how the immune system works. And so homeopathy, why I think it really homeopathy it can treat a lot of people because it's treating the patients but what I think it really shines like you said earlier on is when you can use it at home and you're treating the smaller ailments smaller ailments are anything but small as I say for your overall health yeah because them anything right. you treat and you kind of get the niggles away and sorted means they're not contributing to a filling up of a bucket that then overflows and absolutely chaos yeah yeah but like you were saying about the paracetamol it's uh overuse I mean loads I, I don't know about in france or the rest of the world but they're trained parents are saying like you need to suppress this fever straight away oh absolutely so, i mean we I mean, have commercials now and you know i always used to laugh at the american commercials when you you know you switch on the tv in the hotel room and you're like oh my gosh it's like one pharmaceutical ad after another no 
And here I've noticed a shift and uh, um, an increasing regularity in um, paracetamol or neurofen, like um, ibuprofen type ads. But what I've noticed shift is actually around convenience and um, just making everything easier rather than like this actually being a, a dangerous fever that you would want. It's more like, you know, on the go relief for your little one to make them comfortable or, you know, and the messaging for me sounds like they're trying to broaden the scope of use that as someone who has done marketing myself oh, have you? Okay. Um, in the cosmetics industry, you're always trying to find a way to say something without saying it. That's the whole thing or create occasions that you didn't, that your customer didn't know they needed uh, oh, I wish I could understand that subtlety. I'm just yeah. like a oh. brick wall, like yeah, say right. it as it is. Well, and in the drinks industry as well, you create a new occasion, the aperitif, for example. So then there's this whole other drink that people have to get in the restaurant before the bottle of wine. Um, when I'm living in France, that is like yeah. ingrained in the culture. <laughs> but I get what you're saying with the drinks. It's like, oh, oh women, you need to drink now. This is going to relieve you of all the stresses of having to be as I was talking to a friend, work like you don't have children and raise children like you don't have a job. Yeah. Really that stress, have a drink. (laughs) That's it. And so parents are now like, oh, if my child is whinging or uncomfortable in any way, this medicine is now for that too. It's not just for a 39 plus fever. Exactly. And I would see that in in patients. There is talk. My observation in practice is you suppress a fever one, like you said, it's not 40 degrees. It will prolong what's, and the, it's, this is, it's so small. Like my niche is tiny when I talk about social media, but it's so small. It's like, let the fever work. Let the body's immune system do what it needs to do. You observe, obviously you need to know the red flag symptoms and you you avoid so much issues down, down the road. Whereas if you're, if you're suppressing it all the time, this, and there is talk in, in the medical community as like, oh, do, does this prolong, does this actually make acutes worse? And I would say, yeah, this is all what I see. It's like, stop. And when I get parents and they've changed and like, I will coach them through if they're a patient of mine. It's like, honestly, give me regular symptoms. They have A, B or C. And they're like, no, it's fine. They ring me the next day going, they're completely fine. Fever stopped. There's no lingering cough. There's no snotty nose. And they're back to normal. Whereas normally it would last two weeks. And like, you just let the body do what it needs to do. What's great about homeopathy is um, you're giving something that will support the body through it. So you can make the child comfortable with homeopathic remedies. So that's the way I think about homeopathy. Some parents are like, well, is it not doing the same thing? Is it suppressing the fever? Like, no, it's working with your body. So you're making the child, that's why you'll get children. I'm like, what are they like? They're, I have the ABC method. So I'll say, take the remedies. How are the kids? I'm like, they're absolutely fine. You wouldn't even know they have a fever. They have to take the temperature to say, oh my God, it's still 38. I'm like, it's fine. Just make sure that they rest, they're comfortable and their body can ride it out. So let's talk about fevers then. Um and really nail this so that parents listening especially, because we've all thought as soon as there's a fever, we've got to take a, a pill. Um, but let's talk about the role of a fever in the body and what it instigates. Yeah. they actually really not sure the actual mechanism of what the role of the fever does in fevers. Which is incredible. Pathogens. I know. I couldn't even believe that I was doing the research. Going, Did I read this right? We've spent a lot so, of money on scientific research and how do we not know what a fever does yet? Say we don't know. Exactly. We went to the moon. <laughs> yeah. We don't know about fevers. So the fever is, there is, 
the idea that certain pathology pathogens so viruses will elicit a different type of fever and that's what you see in practice for example um fifth disease handfuls of mouth um uh, not chicken pox will always get a 39 40 degree fever the average cold may know the coxsackie virus will generally be around 38 depends on the child 39 so you can kind of know what you're dealing with by looking at the fever but that when as soon as the body detects a pathogen and you want this mechanism quite quick and uh, to um take an action quite quickly they will talk to the brain the brain will then raise the core temperature the idea is to kill off the pathogen what it also does is it raises inflammation. You want that inflammation because that inflammation is what tells your immune system, your blood cells, okay, right, I need to spring into action now. I need to get to the site of infection. I need to kill this off as quickly as possible. So you want that inflammatory stage. You just want it to be comfortable and you don't want it. That inflammatory stage actually in medicine is what they fear because it can go out of, ha um, go out of hand, depending on, which is what we saw in the early days of COVID. And that depends on the patient of how out of hand, but the general viruses that children will get, they won't. What you have to do, I would say with fevers is for you to be confident in fevers, you need to know your red flag symptoms. I was going to say, this is why so I would can you love... talk us through what those are? Absolutely. I think what would really be helped, not even just homeopaths, but if your pediatrician tell you, Dengo, listen, this is what you need to know for these illnesses, you will feel confident, but nobody does that to parents. There's no one you're trying to do the research yourself and even common um childhood illnesses that are vaccinated for i still say to parents you need to know the symptoms because sometimes the vaccine just doesn't work it doesn't take and you don't know so you need to know what measles looks like you need to know what um uh rubion looks like i'm thinking in french now german <laughs> measles okay. yeah oh yeah the three you know what i'm trying to say measles so months rubella yeah thank you so much mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> they clicked right into french after being a week away in ireland my french yesterday was a disgrace it's uh, now come back funny. today so what do you want the red flag symptoms? So you want to look, um, one, you want to know in your family, is there, does a child or does a parent have um, free bowel convulsions? That is generally ones in families. And that has got nothing to do with the height, the, the temperature. It's to do with the speed that the temperature changes. So you want to know if that is in the family. You want to know if the child is sensitive to light, if they have headaches, if they are um, crisp, uh, scrunching their hands and their feet are their hands and the feet icy cold where their head is hot you want to know if they want to be touched that's very important for babies babies generally when they are uncomfortable they want to be touched if a child doesn't want to be touched that's a red flag symptom so they're very there's a very short list of what are red flag symptoms outside of that you you don't want a fever that goes up and down equally you want a fever that is effective it rises it stabilizes it stays for a few hours and it comes down even if that's with a high fever what I say to parents, I, I am not completely against suppressing the fever because it can be very stressful. What I say is you need to give it time to work. So, for example, if a child does have a 39 or a 40, you have to observe it closely. Always happens at night. Observe it closely, inform your pediatrician and um, give it a few hours. And then after a few hours, you're like, you know what? I kind of just want to stop. And then you can. It's had a few hours to work. If you stop it too early, you're going to get the yo-yo. And it just exhausts the body because it takes a lot of energy to do a 39, 40 degree fever. And is this so the thinking as to why then if you suppress a fever too quickly, you can end up sick for longer? Exactly. Because the body is very intelligent. It's, try it's trying to get, it's trying like, listen, just let me do what I need to do. And then we can get this over and done with. Because then it brings into the next stage is the mucus stage. And that is where, because now doctors, I'm, I'm not sure about in Australia, but in France, they know they don't want to give antibiotics for um, viral infections. 
even though what's quite interesting is antibiotics have a slight anti-inflammatory property. So even if it's not a bacterial infection, it might have an effect. So you think, oh, I'm better, it's fine, but it'll just rebound in two weeks. So they say, there's nothing there, just go home and observe. And that sounds great on paper. What happens is if you're not supporting the body and the child's immune system, and generally can happen with the baby is teething, they're run down a bit, then it's they catch a cold on top of that and all accumulates. There's a lot for the body to do. So if you're just leaving it, what happens then is your body then produces all this mucus. Now, the mucus is a fantastic um, aspect of your immune system. It is removing dead white cells, white blood cells from the site of infection. So it needs to flow from the site of infection. So you get it away. It's when it thickens, it becomes green. Then you have an opportunity for a secondary bacterial infection. And then you've gone down the antibiotic. So this is why I'm always talking about the immune system and, and supporting it from the what I call the warning symptom know what your warning symptom is. Everyone has a warning symptom when they know their immune system is bringing into action. Know that and treat that straight away with something natural and that supports your immune system. Then you avoid the lingering, like I said, some people do a bit of a lingering fever or the lingering second phase, which is mucus. You avoid that, you won't get a secondary bacterial infection and need the antibiotics. That is actually, I can understand in a secondary bacterial infection. Yes, you can still use homeopathy. There's actually loads you can do with vitamin C and et cetera, colloidal silver. But you want to avoid it. What you don't want is giving the antibiotic in the first sign going, oh, yeah, it's an infection. We'll give an antibiotic. Actually, the word infection doesn't mean anything. Is it a viral infection? Is it a bacterial infection? Is it a fungal infection? So a lot of parents would, will just hear from the doctor, it's an infection. You have to ask which one. And when you know which one, you're like, well, is this the appropriate treatment? That's if somebody is going down the standard medical route. But that's what you want to know your warning symptom and start there. Mm hmm. And so when we know those red flags, does that mean if we see those coming up, that's when we go conventional? That's when you definitely contact your pediatrician. So you see that you contact your pediatrician. If a child it does not want to be touched and they are sensitive to light, I would, yeah, I would go straight away and seek help. I was like, don't even call me, go and seek help. Fantastic. Um, Thank, I mean, that's not I fantastic mean. because that would obviously be very stressful. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's really good to know, you know, a lot of, there's no rule that you don't get, you don't get sent home from the hospital with it. Okay. These are your red flags. You come and see us if this, or, you know, it's um, literacy, I think is one of the things that disempowers a, a lack of literacy disempowers people and makes us feel like, um, you know, we, we're not, we're not equipped and therefore we externalize all care and responsibility and we're but you looking, want to be equipped. Yeah, Parents want it. It would so relax you at three o'clock in the morning when your child has a fever and you're exhausted. You're like, oh my God. And so I'm like, get your checklist out. Has it got this, this, this? No. Okay. Then we can leave and make them comfortable. Then we see in the morning. So you generally like when people are always afraid of the worst case scenario, and I completely get that. I've even had a few phone calls from parent, parents in the night. And I'm like, I actually don't know what's going on here. So I get that fear. But um, once you have the practicalities, anything that is dangerous, so let's say it's straight out like meningitis, you can see it straight away. You see the red flag symptoms. You have the, I mean, you can see it when you observe. I am all about observation. Kind of really look at the child. How are they? Are they eating? Are they drinking? That's another actually good indication. If your child has a fever and they're eating and drinking and they're jumping around the place, they're fine. You don't have to worry about what the number is. What you don't want to do is last a few days. I've had a few people, and th this is before they came to see me. The doctor said, "Oh, just wait it out," and it was five days of a fever. I'm like, "That's not normal. A fever just lasts." That's a lot of people have asked me, "How long do I give the remedy for to know that it's working?" I was like, "You don't want a fever to read." Fifth disease can last 24 hours. 
German measles can last two days, but the child's generally fine themselves, but you don't really want it long. That's not, that's something the body is really trying to fight something off there. So when you know that you're like, okay, it's been two days. Let's just go and get the child checked out. Yeah, absolutely. Very practical, very logical. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with a good elimination um, consult. Absolutely not. Yeah. I, I uh, consult around the world at Patients America, Ireland, Australia. And I always say, get in contact with your pediatrician. I'm not there, although I'm always on the end of WhatsApp. I'm not there. So just get the child checked out. Everyone has peace of mind then. Brilliant. And favorite fever remedies, because different types of fevers, different like speed with which a fever spikes up. And I know in homeopathy, there's actually quite a few different options. So in terms of stocking our um, little SOS kit at home, what do you recommend? Okay, so I'm slightly different. Is that I, I, like I said, I have patients who don't care that I'm a homeopath, don't care what homeopathy is, they just want something that works. So I um, had to come up with a methodology. I did courses, small courses to really teach parents. This is what you have to do. These are the symptoms. I'm like, I don't care. Just give me something that works. So I came up with a, it's a strategic use of homeopathy. It's not classical homeopathy. And the part of that is that you use one remedy. It's called ABC. It's a mixture of aconite, belladonna, and chamomilla. 200 CH. So 200 CH is a strength. It's different strengths in homeopathy. And your first warning symptom, you give that remedy. So if you're looking at them individually, aconite is very known for a sudden fever. So that's the fever that you get at three o'clock in the morning. Well, it's usually one or two o'clock in the morning, midnight, and it spikes very quickly. And um, the child is generally quite agitated. Belladonna is the classic fever where the child is hallucinating. Like, oh, my God, they're not even there. And chamomilla can be a more um, the child is uncomfortable or even the adult. I use these for adults as well. And they don't want to be touched, but they do want to be touched. They want to be a hug. Then they want to put down. So they, I put those three into combination. And that's how I do the approach. You start that first and then we see how the body reacts to it. Now, there are other um, fever remedies outside of that. One is ferrum fos. So ferrum fos, although I haven't seen it in practice a lot with the patients I see, it's that low grade. You can see it over about a week that the child's slowly coming down with something and then it hits. That's a ferrum fos fever. Uh, gelsemium can come on um, slowly as well. Gelsemium fevers usually can be quite heady. So they have a fever and they're a bit tired. Their eyes are closing. They want to lie down. That's a gelsemium fever. So they, I would say they're the five that you would have. There's loads of other ones. There's arsenicum. Rust tox I use a lot. Um, this is when I have the group that I'm in. I'm like, forget ABC. If you know um, chicken pox or hand, foot and mouth, forget ABC combination, just go straight to rust tox. And a rust tox fever, they're agitated. You've, we've all been there where you're just like, oh, I've got pains and aches. I don't want to sit down. When I get sort of almost stiff, so I'll keep walking. That is a rust tox fever. And another fever would be bryonia. Bryonia is lie down, don't touch me, don't talk to me, don't move. I want to cough, but it actually hurts me so much to cough that I just don't, don't cough. Bryonia I use a lot in, in COVID. I think everyone's been around COVID. And then they would be the main ones. Like I said, there's quite a lot. Have the first five in the home, but there's one more if I can add on just so people are aware. It's for real, how do I say, real flu symptoms. It's where you feel every bone in your body is broken. That's eupatorium and perforatum. That's a great remedy when people's like, there's no way homeopathy can treat the real flu. I'm like, take this. And the next day they're like, oh my God, it's great. I feel fine. The problem with this though, is that I do in, in the method I do, there's three stages. There's the inflammatory stage, there's the mucus stage, and there's the recovery stage. And you're prepared with different remedies for each stage because the body does, the symptom picture does shift. And the recovery stage is you have to let the body recover after it's gone into such, used up so much energy and resources to do a fever. 
and nobody recovers. So he feels so great after home. He opts like, I'll just go back to work. And the kids are like, no, no, can we just can we just rest for a day? Can we just kind of no? Okay. <laughs> That's why I really talk about the recovery stage. It's funny, you know, with COVID and and I'm um I like silver linings. I try to find them, a little bit of yeah. hidden um goodness to come from awful situations. Uh, and I feel like we had a real opportunity to become the types of people who now would rest when we got sick. Um, yes. You know, out I'm of not the, going to work. Don't go into work and give it to other people. I really thought that this was going to be the thing that would give us that memo, but it honestly feels like. It did for a while. It did for a while, but a I little feel while, like yeah. humans are like, oh, and now I can just get on with it. We're just so bad at learning that lesson to chill and relax and rest when isn't that when really we're that modern living though? It's like when you said earlier about the ads for paracetamol and the convenience for parents. Um that's I, I wanted to give the tools so parents acted immediately for the kids because they're like, I have to go to work, I have a mortgage to pay, I haven't been working for two years, my child can't be sick, I have nobody to mind them. There is a lot modern parenting is hard, it's really hard. And I think you really become um, quite political when you've had your first, I see that with patients and friends, had your first child. Like, oh my God, how am I expected to do everything? It's like, well, society didn't run like this a hundred years ago. And now you're trying to do everything and it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. So I can understand how, not that I, I look at marketing and like, oh my God, you're planting ideas. But I mean, they've, marketing have really seen that the parents need speed to treat their kids because they're afraid because they need to go to work. And that's where the ads have come from. But it's not necessarily doing it in the long term. It's not doing you any favors because if you do that, you're going to have a child that's on multiple. I want to talk about that multiple doses of antibiotics. And then you're going to have to deal with the side effects of that because there's always side effects of multiple doses of antibiotics. And the research, when I say what multiple doses is, a lot of people like and in your opinion, what would multiple doses of antibiotics be for you? Oh, for me, it would be like any more than once every couple of years, really. Like, Well, it's two in a year, two doses of antibiotics use within a year. Then you're going to get side effects. And if you think, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but over here, it's it would be like the second week of school and kids would already be on their second dose of antibiotics. Yeah, here, I mean... I can only speak from my experience as someone who had chronic tonsillitis as a child uh, and I would be on, yeah, three or four rounds a year, if not sometimes five. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that that would have then created the epigenetic effect of an MTHFR SNP, which would then have absolutely um, impacted my detoxification, which would then have meant that plus the immune dysregulation from that many antibiotics. Oh, absolutely. Predisposed me to being very um, sick, very easily with mold, which is what happened in adulthood. So you literally, that's what you see in practice. And it sounds dramatic, but you see it time and time again. And equally you're passing on to, it can be passed on to children because if you're a mother and the child your good flora profile comes from the first three years, two, three years of your life, how you're born, what you're fed with and the use of antibiotics. And so it's not necessary to, if you're a natural birth or even a C-section, I talk of vaginal birth, I mean, a C-section, it's the, the skin to skin contact. So if the mother's profile is, is altered, the child's altered, and that's where you can see it through gen, um, generations. Yeah. And so can we, can homeopathy be a part of the healing? of those sorts of intergenerational issues? 
I'd like to say yes. I should say challenges rather than issues because it is a challenge, yeah. right? Yeah. There's loads you can do. I always, one thing I don't, the message I don't like to give to, I don't like giving to people is like, oh, just take a probiotic and you're fine. It really depends on the patient. It depends mm. on how the probiotics taken, what you need to do. Is the environment of your intestines hospitable for the tablets? So just don't necessarily waste your time and your money just yet. Get your diet right and everything. But I really think there's a lot you can do. I always, and I try to come across like this on social media, but remember I said to you, I'm very blunt. It's like, <laughs> yes, you want to avoid them, but if you can't, there's things we can do. So you're changing your diet. I'm actually just preparing that post this week, the pillars of overcoming antibiotics misuse. Um, there was one, Dr. Martin, oh, I can't really remember his name. He said that you're, once you have a dose of antibiotics, your, 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 your profile is completely altered. And that is very true. It's completely altered. It doesn't mean that you can't get it back to a functioning, healthy gut flora and your microbiome is healthy again. You can get it. It might be different, but there's a lot you can do. And there's actually a program in homeopathy. I was saying there's loads of things in homeopathy and they're called the bell nosodes. Not a lot of people know about these. And they are, if you look at the history of the Belnozodes, it was in the beginning of the 20th century, again, looking at bacteria, different bacteria. And uh, Dr. I want to say it's Edward Bach or Peterson. Oh my God, I should remember this. It's on a post. I'll send you a post. <laughs> my memory's not great. I have oh, all good. my reference books for that. And uh, looked, noticed certain bacteria in certain pathologies. So isolated that. So actually we have those remedies that we give when we see real good health um, is is struggling so i have a whole program it's called the balnozo program and i put it give it to kids who their gut health is just the parents are struggling and doctors are struggling to get the gut health back into balance the enzymes and the yeasts and everything so we do the balnozo program and then there's blood tests and stool tests to show the shift with homeopathy homeopathic remedies i love this program it's a long program that's the only thing it's a very long program when you say long Oh, wow. A year. A year. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I think about people with chronic health pictures and the programs that they're undertaking and the diets that they're radically shifting and the commitment yes. that so many people have, it especially, you know, we started the conversation where you notice that in your practice, just over 16, 17 years, the, the shift downward in children's health. I mean, you know, the first question I ask if I'm doing a parent-oriented talk is to just wake people up, especially if I'm doing a corporate talk where I know most of the audience wouldn't give two hoots about low-tox life or me or the cow I rode in on. And they, <laughs> I'm just, I'm there to try and make them start thinking about things and looking at their own family situations, right? And I always say, you know, let's think back to 30 years ago when we were all at school um, and I want you to put your hand up if you remember um, two or more kids with some kind of allergy, psoriasis, uh, asthma, dermatitis, uh, you know, eczema. Um, yeah, I knew one kid with asthma. And then in senior school, I remember someone had a lactose thing. And, I, and we were all like, what the, you know, that was, it was just that weird uh, and different. Yes. Um, and now, so then I say, okay, now let's think about our own kids and put your hand up. If you know five or more kids that have da, 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 and the whole, the whole room's hands go up. And even so like ear infections, like kids, it's now normal for kids to have so many ear infections. I didn't remember that when I was a kid. No, 
being was a big thing in my under 10 phase it was a big thing to be sick and you it was not often no no it was rare but now it's just considered the norm oh kids get sick it's good for their immune system and like I get what they're trying to say with that but there's a reason why it's just being so prolonged and that's just in childhood you then see it. I've seen actually, it's not just in kids that I see this. You, you see the antibiotic year, I call it trigger. You can see it in um, adult patients as well. We, tr- we can trigger, we can link everything they've had now back to the, like yourself, to the, the misuse in childhood. So um, I really, that's why I love treating kids. It's because you're, you ha- you're hoping that you're giving the parents the tools to be able to give their kids immunity for life and health for life. Mm. So let's talk about the healing journey then, because there'll be a lot of adults listening who are a product of the antibiotic boom. Um, where does one start to um, sort that out? Okay, so if, if, say we're talking to somebody who hasn't looked at anything. The first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to look at your diet. Um, and if you don't like cooking, you're going to have to start learning, loving to cook. That's the thing that is, I'm very, very I can help there. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, first understand food intolerances that they are so misunderstood and so badly explained a lot by doctors and even gastro doctor. I, I'm saying gastro because I don't know the word in English and other. Um, so there's a difference between a food allergy, a food intolerance and a food sensitivity. Food allergies and food intolerances will have an immune re- response, IgE or IgG. Food sensitivities can be hard to test for because it doesn't elicit an immune response. Um, it can be sugar, for example. Very few people are allergic to sugar, but that is going to impact your, um, your gut. So really look at maybe start already with getting food intolerances identified, whether you want to do a blood test, a prick test, or even kinesiology. I love That's what I do in my practice because there was no doctor around here that was testing for that. There's one now actually we get on great, but I'll do the kinesiology muscle testing. I said, right, it is strict. Um, and like you said, commit to it. It is not going to be easy just because the treatment is natural doesn't mean it's easy. And um, start to really enjoy nourishing your body. So start with that first. It's so I would important. Give that a good six, yeah. Yeah. It's just six to 12 weeks and see what then your body shifts then you might actually have to see somebody at that stage because you want to identify um, dysbiosis, like what is still lingering after you've changed your diet? What is um, What deficiencies will you have? Along the, a lot of people are doing this actually, if, for example, they have endocrine issues or endometriosis or autoimmune. The reason why I say you, you'll do that lifestyle but have your home kit ready is because through that journey, if you have significant gut dysbiosis or a significant impact from antibiotic misuse and overuse, you are going to get sick again. You are going to get that cold. You are going to get that. So you need to know how to treat those acutes. You need to know how to manage those acutes. And I understanding homeopathy and the body's healing energy. I think when you manage those acutes, actually you're reinforcing and building up your stamina, your, your healing stamina again, though, by just treating the small ones. So have that in place. Um, other aspects of gut dysbiosis from uh, antibiotic misuse is there's going to be um, emotional impact as well. They know that your uh, neurotransmitters come from your from your gut, so you will, might have to have you might have anxiety issues, insomnia, um, those type of things to so start to reintroduce stress management. So that is actually going to work on your gut as well, but also just to calm you down. And you might then it would be easier the diet because you won't be reaching for the sugar, the caffeine, or sometimes the cocktail and I or the wine. Um, so have a whole holistic approach, have your stress management, have your acute um, management tools in, start learning to cook, liking to cook and finding out what's around for you and enjoy the journey. 
it is not that um a lot of people can do this and it can be really depressing like it reminds them that they're sick you're not sick you're trying to build up your healing stamina absolutely and I always say try and focus on the fact that there's an element of discovery rather than the deprivation aspect which you know oh, I can't have my favorite whatever anymore it's like well that was slowly killing you so exactly. maybe we actually need a psychological shift there and then yeah. if you can kind of wake up you know I think one of the most powerful things people can do is take a look at that little piece of junk so maybe it's a cheese and bacon puff or a Malteser or whatever it is and actually research every single ingredient and how they're made and what that company does with its profits how they pay their frontline workers Ooh, that's a good like, one go so deep their ethics into, yeah everything and then you think it but then it's not about what you oh I shouldn't I'm trying to cut down um I've, I'm you know my practitioner told me I had to stop eating that or whatever now it's like as if I would touch that crap and it's just I'm so much more snob. empowering. Yeah. I'm an mm. absolute food snob. I just, you give me, I can't have, I'm very allergic to dairy products. It's in the family as well. And I thought I am starting on raw butter. My body can have raw butter now and I'm okay. It's like, Amazing. oh, this is huge for me because I don't like the, the fake butters. But I would go, family or chefs as well, but if somebody gave me a piece of cheese that was wrapped in plastic and just, no, I, I couldn't eat that. And that's the thing as well. When the chefs in the family, like I don't have a microwave because I don't, I, we know what microwaves do, but I don't like the taste of food in a microwave. So when you get your taste buds back, you're like, oh God, I can't believe I used to eat that before. I'm like, yeah, it's you, it's just a whole new way of life. Uh, but it is really interesting. And it, you, it's like when people say you don't regret going exercise or going to the gym, you won't regret this. You'll hate me for it because there's always that two, three weeks. I don't know if you've noticed to people, there's a two, three weeks. And I need to explain it more in terms of neurotransmitters. There's a shift. And I always think it's something in the gut is really shifting. And the last three days, you either hate me, you'll hate the world. You want to cry, you want to punch me, or it's three days, be like, I cannot do this. And when you go through those three days and you're prepared for it, because I warn all my patients, they're like, okay, no, I've done it now, it's fine. But you will hate everybody in those three days. Yeah. I don't know if you oh, noticed that in people. Yes, absolutely. It's the resistance yeah. to change, right? I mm. noticed in myself when we rescued a giant 37 kilo golden okay, retriever. Right. <laughs> And I honestly felt like I had descended into depression. I was like, who am I? I'm crying at the drop of a hat. This is ridiculous. And I was like um, that with coffee. Yeah. I gave coffee I with my friends. Any kind of change like that. Yeah, coffee was absolutely the same. And now I'm like, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Mm. I thought I was schizophrenic. Mm. My friend thought she was bipolar. We're like, oh my God, what how much should we have? Yeah. And that's like, and they're really serious mental challenges. And yet we can feel like we have those challenges. But that is the power of, of those foods then, like coffee, overuse of caffeine, overuse. And you've said about the food industry marketing. The food industry is not there for your health. And the health industry is not there to look at your food. Unfortunately, they're not talking to each other. And when I get people changing their diet, they're like, why is there wheat in everything? Like, for example, a uh, uh, tandoori chicken spice mix. Why is there wheat in that? Because it's, like, it's cheap. They're buffering it. It's a good filler. Yeah. Well, good being um, a contentious word there. But um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. We, I, I, I'm really glad we talked about fevers in depth. And I'm, I'm glad we've talked about the road to healing. And I feel like what you've just been saying there is that 
you don't go to the homeopath to just give you a bunch of pills and have you not need to change anything. You still need to change the things. Am I right there? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. particularly the way I work. Are we look at, so you look at it. So the analysis in homeopathy is, okay, why is your body not healing itself? What do we need to do? Has it gone, got enough energy, right? We give it the homeopathic remedy. Um, there'll always be an aspect that we need to support it homeopathically, but what can we look in your lifestyle that is, like you said, the bucket is making the bucket overflow. Is it your diet? Is it your sleep hygiene? And we do these, I really look at the, both approaches for patients. It makes the it educates the patient, the patient will feel empowered. They feel that they're being proactive rather than just here, take these, this white powder and come back to me in six weeks. I'm like, no, I want, I really go, it's a long consultation. I like you to understand why I'm doing this. And I think with patients, that's why I try to do with social media with when you are informed and you understand what your body's trying to do, you all, I find patients automatically make the right choices for themselves. And it's not a struggle for them. Like, no, I get, I mean, yeah they would love their cup of coffee or their 10th in the day, but they get why they're doing it. Mm. They see. Yeah. You've got it. Once you're in touch with the why, then you're empowered to create the change. Exactly. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Now there can be some homeopathic remedies. For example, if a patient does have, I can usually see this in kids, like parents might really see this. If your child has a really fussy eater and will only sweet or salty, that comes from gut dysbiosis. So we can actually then give homeopathy like the balnozo to try and change the dietary changes. So I'm like, right, we don't enforce it. Like you have to eat those peas. But what we can do is like put the peas out and like you just need you to try one. Make it, That can actually take a few months to really change, but you can change a child's um, taste buds and palate. And um, so that, yeah, you can use homeopathy. A lot of parents will be excited by that. And I can feel, I know we're having you as our guest in the club uh, for a Q&A masterclass. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you are going to be descended upon on the fussy eating topic. Make my children eat broccoli again. <laughs> Hide it in bolognese. No, but there's a way, like it's certain kids, a certain age groups, naturally their taste buds change. But if they're very picky eater, you can see it again. I've just seen it from kids with loads of antibiotics in their gut. So just not working properly. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I look forward to answering those questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, tonight was fabulous. I feel like it's really um, a wonderful thing to understand better. I definitely understand homeopathy better. Oh, brilliant. Um, and... I'm actually not the best at explaining it. <laughs> I'm better. I'm so much better at doing it. <laughs> well, they often say the people, like there's some people who are so good at the practice of something that they're not good at explaining that they just want to get on with practicing. So that's all good. So when but you said no. you've never had homeopath on before, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I'll see how this goes. I'll go and find a really good one for explaining Thank things now so that much. everybody's excited. No, just kidding. Just kidding. You were fabulous. And uh, I've got all of your details shared in our show notes for everybody to connect to your work. Um, can I ask you one completely impromptu rapid fire question before as a close is what what is your desert island remedy? Oh, sulfur. Okay. Sulfur. I love the sulfur remedy. It's called the king of homeopathy. Oh, I might change that. I like sulfur from me, but if anyone had to have one remedy in their house, it's heparsulf. It's what? Heparsulf. Uh-huh. They, how you're taught just to remember the symptom picture is called a homeopathic antibiotic. It is that green, thick mucus. Anyone who's sinusy, anyone has throat issues, anyone has like um, um, infection in a cut, use Hepar It is a fantastic. Okay. It the blood. Yeah. 
done. You heard it here first, folks. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much, Julia. I really, really enjoyed this chat. Me too. It was brilliant. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at lowtoxlife or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.